Dr. Isaac, dial zero. The Brent Community Healthcare System presents Hospital Insider, the podcast. Your host is Gary Chalk, the retired director of public affairs for the Brandt Community Healthcare System, a newspaper columnist, and former radio broadcaster. The podcast features conversations with members of the medical staff, the caregivers, volunteers, the leadership team, and donors of the Brantford General Hospital and the Willett Hospital in Paris. Listening to Hospital Insider, the podcast, will inform and educate you about hospital care. So please share this podcast with your family and friends and encourage them to subscribe as well. Remember, if it has to do with hospital care in Brantford, Paris, and throughout Brant County, we will talk about it on Hospital Insider, the podcast. Welcome, everybody. This is episode number two of Hospital Insider, the podcast. We recorded at the historic Wincy Mills in downtown Paris. The facility was built back in 1889. It's sort of the apex of where the Grand and the Nith Rivers come together. Wincy Mills has been refurbished. It's now revitalized into a year-round market, a creative space where locals and visitors alike can come to shop, learn, create, and share. Our guest today in the podcast is Dr. Andrea Unger, the Chief of Emergency Medicine for the Bryan Community Healthcare System. She leads a team of almost 50 emergency physicians. She uh, obtained her uh, training initially at McMaster Medical School and the University of Calgary before coming to Brantford some 18 years ago. She is also a physician trainer of point of care ultrasound teaching courses right across Canada. Outside the emergency room, Dr. Unger is a parent of two teenage girls. They're both very avid horseback riders. So Andrea likes to say when she isn't wearing ER scrubs, she's usually found wearing barn clothes. And her husband is a policy consultant, a great supporter of the family's riding habit, and most importantly, helps by doing his share of the laundry. This is all Andrea's words. Thanks for joining us at Wincy Mills, and welcome to Hospital Insider, the podcast. Thanks, Gary. Thanks so much for having me here. We're going to have some fun. In our very first episode, recorded with Dr. Tom Sakash, who's an uh, infectious disease doctor, asked him off the top what it's like being a physician. So, what's it like being an emergency physician? Any similarities to Gray's Anatomy? Being an emergency physician is the greatest job for me. It is an absolute fit, and I'm, I'm so lucky. The reason I know it's a great job is people will sometimes say, if you won the lottery... Would you still go to work? And I would go. That's how I that's how I know how great this job is. Good for you. You've come a long way growing up in Winnipeg. Yeah, I was, right? I was born in Winnipeg. Um, I traveled, I moved with uh, my family. We moved to Ottawa, moved to Toronto. We traveled because of my dad's work and uh, and ended up uh, living in Dundas and working in Brantford. And it's been, it's been a great choice. You were talking before we... Uh went live but you're uh, you have a little knowledge of being around a studio and your dad was a CBC fella yeah I grew up with CBC radio my dad was in broadcasting and uh, so although I've never had the opportunity to be on the other side of the mic I certainly have seen many studios and this is a real opportunity for me I recall when I interviewed you for a column Andrea you were talking about growing up living in Winnipeg I think at the time and said you used to watch Alan Alda on MASH and you told your parents, maybe that's what I should do is be a doctor, right? <laughs> that's actually true. When people ask me what my motivations were for medicine, sometimes I'm embarrassed to say that <laughs> I, I think it's many years of, of watching MASH and seeing um, that real, the humor that can take you through those tough times, but also the, the discipline and difficulty and challenge. And I'm not afraid of either of those things. So what motivated you to become an emergency physician as opposed to all the other practices you could do? 
I think the, the thing that resonated with me about ER was the fast decision. Um, there's, there's certain people that um, like to think things over, be 100% sure, and then there's those of us who like to look and jump quickly. So we, we, we leap right away. Um, and emergency is a, is a place where you have to follow your gut, be trustful of your intuition, and match that with medical knowledge and experience and you take your gestalt and you and you and you take a step forward and so you have to have confidence you have to have experience um, and it's incredibly rewarding because what someone needs in an emergency is someone to make a decision take action and it's a great way of being a physician it's really a combination of science and art, really. I mean, you're, you're just, you're, you're at the moment. Absolutely, because I'm, I'm meeting people in their worst moment often. Right. Uh, and so I have to know that I have to get to know them quickly. I have to understand their values, their needs, and not take the time that maybe a family doctor would have because they serve a, an entirely different purpose. They have that longitudinal relationship. They know the family, they know the history. I have to try and, and figure out someone's wishes in, in just a few seconds or minutes. Um, and I enjoy that challenge and, and I think I do it well. Think back to your very first time. You're now an emergency room physician. Perhaps you're uh... Uh, being being um, tutored by someone still or overseen or whatever, but you're on your own and that first patient arrives. You must have a lot of pressure in the back. When I first started my residency, actually on my day one in Calgary, I was working on a medical floor and they called me to an emergency. I came, I was paged overhead in the hospital at the same time as my pager was going off and I thought, that sounds like that's pretty serious if both things are happening. So I, I ran into the room where I saw a patient in distress, multiple nurses there, and the nurse turned and looked at and looked and said, Thank God the doctor's here. And I turned around to see who that person would be. <laughs> it was you. It was me. <laughs> but that was my first day. <laughs> you arrived in Brantford, as I recall, from Hamilton. Why did you pick Brantford? Um, I actually worked both places for a period of time um, and got to experience the difference between a teaching hospital and a community hospital. And I, I did that purposefully because I wanted to know which one was a good fit. Um, I enjoyed both. The acuity, I loved at both places. Um, but what I really enjoyed about community medicine was getting to know the staff who were there long term not students that were turning over and over right. and over. So I was known right away by name. My second shift arriving at the Brantford General, one of the nurses said, hello, Dr. Unger, you've come back. And it, it took almost seven months at a teaching hospital for people to know my name. 
just the turnover was was a, a, just a different kind of work environment. So the environment in Brantford of the nursing staff who were a real community, real supporters, and then the hospital staff who many of them had been there for years. It's it's something I still find amazing when I go to quarterly staff or a physician recognition evening is there will be doctors there that have worked at the Brantford General Hospital for 35 years, sometimes even 40 years. And, and that's an amazing place for me when I was starting out in my career to have that sort of depth of experience behind me. I really felt like that was a good match. So you've been a Brantford General now for 18 years. You're oversee the uh, the emergency room, the the physicians, and as a community hospital, there's about 58,000 patients every year coming into the ER. That's an incredible number. That's like 170 or whatever a day. How do you yeah. keep up with it all? And and people are surprised. Our volumes at the Brantford General are actually larger than the Hamilton General. Hamilton has multiple hospitals, but yes. what we see in Brantford is greater than even their general hospital. So every day, you know you're going to be busy. Every day is busy. We take advantage of the downtimes when it is slow. The entire staff enjoys it. They take that moment. They spend more time. We relax. But those are far and few between. And. 18 years ago, it may have been quiet in the evening or quiet overnight, but now we are truly running a 24-hour facility. Do you ever miss that opportunity or have you ever experienced the opportunity to really debrief after, after a difficult case, a patient, uh, maybe the outcome was not what was, was uh, in the plans? You know, people often ask about how emergency doctors cope with those difficult cases. Um, it, I think it's interesting that those tough, really tough experiences are, are not what grinds us down. We have an incredible team. We talk through things afterwards. We do informal, we call them hot debrief, where we talk right away, maybe 10 or 15 minutes later with the team where we get out, was there anything we could have done different? Does anyone see anything? And, and we support each other. Then we do again, maybe a day later or with our other colleagues, plus all of us have our supportive family. Mm -hmm. um, that's really important that we have those places outside of work uh, to take that time to be mindful, to appreciate what we have. The, but those difficult cases, it's not what grinds down the, the workers in the department. It's, it's the process things. It's not being able to get what you need in a moment. It's the limitations of the system. So if even if it's a tough case, if you had the tools you needed, if you got to make the phone call and get the expert you needed, that's those are the things that, that make a difference. And that's one of the reasons I've taken over this administrative role is, is recognizing that a, a career in, in emergency has to do with having the department function so that we can do our jobs. Because even if our jobs are hard, as long as the tools and the pieces are there, we can do that hard job. When patients come in, they all complain all across North America for that matter, but certainly in, uh, in Canada and in Ontario, that uh, we wait a long time so frequently. So the, I know there's an uh, acuity rating system that's used. So when a patient arrives in the emergency room, typically, unless they're taken right in via an ambulance, perhaps, uh, that a, uh, a nurse will evaluate them. And how do they prioritize who you're going to see first or who's going to have to wait? 
The triage nurses are amazing. Uh, they, you know, 20, 30 years ago, people would just write their name down when they came and they were just seen in order. Uh, it, it seems crazy to us now. Of course, we want the sickest people to go first. And the triage nurses do training to understand all the subtleties that go on to decide where a patient should go and who should be seen. So they really are the, the most amazing first step. Uh, they will use their gestalt, their knowledge, uh, experience, plus taking vitals. So that's the most important thing often that first happens is they'll take their pulse and their blood pressure and they'll check their temperature and, and put that into a, literally a computer algorithm that'll give them a number. But on top of that number, they are able to use their experience and make decisions. Is it um, overly simplistic, Andrea, to divide into two groups, life-threatening and non-life-threatening, or are there gray areas in between? We have a five-point scale that we use, but really, you are correct. There's, there's, this needs to be seen now, or this can wait a little bit. And, and, and sometimes that's the most important way to understand it. And even the way we submit our information to the government divides them up that way. So we sort of divide in, into two groups. Um, and the ones that need to be seen now, uh, they have to go immediately back to a bed, immediately go onto a monitor and be seen by a nurse right away. Um, and it can be difficult to tell who is in each group, but that's where I really trust those triage nurses. And the nurses have a huge responsibility knowing that the patient has to see a physician and perhaps not now, but conditions can change. Correct. Um, when you first started talking about this, you said that we do wait. You know, um, there is a wait to see physicians. It's not just at the Brantford General. Uh, Canada actually has one of the longest waits when we compare to other OECD countries. Um, we have one of the longest emergency waits, and it's because of the way our, our system works. Um, it's not something that just starts in our emergency room. It's, it's across the whole province, and we talk about hallway medicine and, and all those things. So our system is slow, but what we have to be able to do is to react quickly within it. So if there are waits, which we know are gonna happen, then I rely incredibly on those nurses to see that something has changed, to point it out. And, and we have a team in our ER, and I know the expectation that is that if a nurse comes up to you and looks concerned, you just get up from your desk and you walk with, with them. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, we trust that they have a concern and you just follow it. Before we talk a little bit about uh, hallway medicine, we also hear about ambulance um, offload times for patients arriving. First of all, if a patient is brought in th uh, by an ambulance, are they seen right away? So an ambulance is always seen by the triage nurse right away. Some ambulances will get a physician right there in the paramedic bay with them. There's certain things like a stroke um, or if they're having uh, oxygen be given to the patient with a um, artificially then these will be uh, a physician will arrive immediately upon them opening the doors sometimes we're given a five-minute warning with a severity or even more and the physician is standing waiting at the door so if there's a car accident or a, a trauma we are the whole team assembles and is standing waiting more often 
uh, an ambulance arrives and is seen by the triage nurse and they do a complete assessment there before they decide what area do they need to move to. There are some people that will come by ambulance uh, because at the moment that they called, they were incredibly concerned. They thought it was life-threatening. And by the time they've got there with the ambulance attendant, um, giving them some basic uh, oxygen or reassurance, right. they realize upon arriving at the hospital that it, it wasn't as much of an emergency as they thought. And some people will at that point get off the gurney, sit in a wheelchair and move to a lower acuity area. And because we have created a low acuity area that we call our see and treat, sometimes patients will come in and actually be seen incredibly quickly in that area. So recognizing that you thought it was emergency, you chose to come to the hospital, which is always the right choice. And then when you get there, knowing that you could be seen in a lower acuity area, sometimes is the fastest way to be seen. I had a uh, personal experience with the see and treat area a year or so ago with my uh, now 96 year old mother-in-law who was having some, some breathing difficulties and uh, arrived and she was deemed to go to the see and treat area. Within two, two hours, not only was she seen twice, by the emergency physician, there was also a consult, all the lab results, and she was sent home with a revised medication list. So see and treat as a new initiative certainly works for patients. We're incredibly happy with it. Uh, it when it was working well, people get seen usually within an hour as they're within one to two hours they're seen. And then hopefully if we've chosen correctly and they're there with a minor reason, then they're out within two to three hours. So it is a great way of taking people who are concerned enough to come to a hospital and siphoning them over to an area where they are appropriately dealt with quickly because that leaves the people in the waiting room who are sicker, who need a stretcher, who need monitors, who need intravenous, then we can go to work on those people. And the two separating them really helps us find those sick people and get looking after them quickly. Patients in the emergency room often uh, are seen by nursing staff, yourself or one of your, one of your other uh, physicians. But then there's the wait period for the consult from a surgeon or an internal medicine physician. How does that interplay all come together? It's really important that just like the triage nurse speaks to the nurse, speaks to the emergency doctor, that those things continue. So the emergency doctor then has to speak to the consultant. And we actually have an, a really, really good pathway for communication with our consultants. Teaching hospitals have an army of residents available at all times just to come to the ER. We're a community hospital. These specialists maybe are on the floor, maybe in the operating room, maybe in their office, but they ha are willing to take our calls instantly. It's one of the things I like about emergency medicine. When I was a family doctor, if I wanted an opinion, I would send a letter. Right. I would wait six weeks. When I'm in the ER, if I need the same help from that consultant, it's a phone call away. We are a busy hospital. Uh, we've made efforts to get those consultants in faster. We've actually made a big change this year with asking our consultants to come in a more timely fashion and they're responding, understanding that the faster those patients get seen, the faster we can make decisions and really get blood from a stone here. We're trying to take every every moment that people are waiting that's not used and make it a useful moment and, and condense the decision-making time. And, and the consultants are really stepping up and doing that. 
I understand there's almost 50 emergency physicians that it takes to cover the shifts 24-7 throughout the entire year at the Brantford General Emergency Room. How difficult is it to, A, attract an emergency physician to come to Brantford from, from wherever, and then B, to retain them, and does that factor of uh, uh, tiredness come into the picture that they just have to move on? It's a great question, uh, Gary, because uh, we've actually had incredible success recruiting because of something the hospital started a few years ago with McMaster, and that's the Grand Erie Six Nations Family Medicine Site. So over the last four or five years, we've had residents from McMaster in family medicine coming to the Brantford General to do their training. They have had the opportunity to work in our ER. Some of them have had such positive experiences that they've gone on to do an extra ER training year. And every year for the past four years, we've had one of those residents come back and sign on to work with us. So our recruiting through the McMaster Grand Erie Six Nations site has been a complete blessing to us. Uh, they are have reinforced our new numbers so that we're in a great situation. In fact, we're in such a good situation with the number of doctors we have that I can allow doctors to do those things that make their life better. So some of our doctors have taken small sabbaticals. Mm -hmm. uh, one doctor went away for six months last year traveling with her family. Another doctor um, spent two months working out in BC so he could ski and work and spend time with young kids there. Because I'm recruited, because I have recruited enough people, I'm giving the doctors opportunity after years of really working a, a, a grinding shift, mm -hmm. uh, long hours, I'm saying if you want to take some time uh, to do those recovery, we have the ability right now. At the same time, it keeps people who've been working with us greater than 10 years still working. So we're reducing that turnover. Those docs are staying, we're keeping the experience, and then that's a great mentoring system for the new ones. Uh, one of our doctors, uh, Dr. Jody McQueen, who's been working really well with the Grand Erie Six Nations residents and medical students, she now has set up a mentoring program. So any new ER physician gets matched with uh, a more experienced one. So that's also helping our group because it's a big group. Uh, so as we take these new ones in, we're helping, we're supporting, and then the ones who've been there for years are having the opportunity that they can take the needed breaks that they want so that they can sustain themselves in the long run. When we talk about the almost 60,000 patients that arrive year in, year out at Brantford General Emergency Room, there's also approximately 20,000 people who come under your physician's care when they go to the urgent care center at the Willett Hospital. That's a great opportunity for us to talk about when people should go to the urgent care, if they can, as opposed to coming to the ER. Right, the Willett, is, the Willett Hospital is an incredible addition because it gives patients choice. Where do you wanna go? One thing that has been really helpful this year is we now post on the BCHS website, the wait times for both places. If you look on the banner of the, of the website, you can click either on BGH or Willett. And when you go to the Willett option, it'll tell you the reasons you should be going to an urgent care. Right. So minor scrapes or sprains, small lacerations, 
even a, a minor broken bone in your hand or, or could could go there. Coughs, colds, prescription refills, those kinds of ailments would be completely appropriate. Um, things that have happened for the past few days, people that are well, this is exactly who should be going to the Willet. Our guest today is Dr. Andrea Unger, the Chief of the Emergency Department of the Brantford General Hospital and the Willet in Paris. You travel across Canada as a uh, point-of-care ultrasound instructor. And I, th- I want to talk a little bit about that, but I think it also has, it was the, the idea of one of your emergency physicians, Greg Hall, as I recall, that, that got this going? So Greg Hall is uh, one of the leaders of ultrasound in Canada. He started uh, and took our department on this journey with him. He became an expert trainer uh, in maybe 10, 15 years ago and knew the importance of not just doing this on his own. He knew that the entire department should be doing the same thing as him so we could work as a team, always providing the same kind of medicine to everyone who, who arrived. He knew that it would transform the whole hospital, that people would learn what we were doing was making a difference, and they would come to uh, accept this new skill because 15 years ago, this was not being done by by physicians, and now we've transformed to, I use the ultrasound more than I use my stethoscope. Interesting. And you do traveling across Canada, training other emergency room physicians? So Greg has a a group of trainers across Canada that he's worked with, and he has trained our emergency doctors so that several of us travel. And not only across Canada, I've also gone to Kuwait with him. Um, We've gone other, he's gone to several other countries um, to take this this way of, of being an emergency doctor and having this exactly what I, I said before, what I enjoyed was getting the answer in a moment, not mm-hmm. waiting. And that's what point of care ultrasound can do. It can, it can allow me to get a yes, no answer about the severity of a situation right with my fingertips in that moment. I don't have to send a patient over out of the department, outside of me watching them when they're critically ill. I can do it myself right there. And the technology, which was a large machine, a huge, bulky, cumbersome machine, is now becoming a handheld unit that we could attach to an iPhone or an iPad. And to think that it started at the Bradford General. Good for you. Let's talk uh, about a uh, more serious subject, perhaps, and the opi- opioid uh, instant, the instance of, of how many of these patients are arriving at the ER. This is a heartbreaking crisis. It's a public health crisis. It's a community crisis. It's not just here. It's in so many places across Canada and the United States. We have really been devastated with the number of deaths that have happened here. And it is, it's, it's very difficult to be known as the hospital that has the most overdoses. That's not the kind of place that we want to be working, but when we accept that that is what's happening, when we don't put our head in the sand and we say we need to react to this, uh, we need to uh, make the proper decisions um, to move forward, uh, then you can get out of the disappointment and sadness which are paralyzing and then you can start to take action. So when we first realized the numbers that were increasing when we saw this happening, um, our ER 
stepped out ahead of any public health initiative and we started giving Narcan kits out. We started purchasing them and uh, working with our public health and pharmacies to just acknowledge that the harm reduction uh, things that worked, we had to get on top of. Um, so we started with that. Several of our physicians have expertise in addictions. Several of our physicians work um, in, uh, have expertise in, in methadone and in treatment. And we have used them to say, teach the rest of us. What do we need to do to be ahead of the curve, to be treating and to be offering options that really work? Uh, this is not about just telling someone to make a better choice and turfing them back out on the street again. This is saying we recognize that addictions are part of a huge, huge failure of the social network, of uh, the education system. These are people who have dropped out of school. These are people who have had hardship, have not had access to adolescent mental health. Um, these are people who have had difficulties on them completely not their fault through accidents and become addicted to prescription medicine medications that we have to acknowledge physicians are a part of so we've had to be reflective how are we prescribing the Percocets how are we prescribing those things how have we contributed I think we that's a very sobering thing and we've done that as a department and said we don't want to contribute to ongoing addictions. We want to manage pain. We want to look after people who have come with very difficult life situations and, and not just say that this is a, a, a value choice, that people just aren't trying, aren't trying to get better. We recognize that they are, but we have to offer them things that work. So working with the Rapid Addiction Access uh, Medicine Clinic, our RAM clinic, working with St. Leonard's, now we have new detox beds. So we're giving people options that aren't judging them, that, are, that we're giving people options that actually work to make their symptoms manageable so they can do the work which is on their own lives, which led to the, led to the problems in the first place. I'm sure listeners to the podcast can have a, a better understanding and appreciation of the stresses that people who work in an emergency room face on a, an ongoing basis day in, day out. We talked at the outset that uh, getting away from it and leaving the job behind. I know that there's a great interest in horseback riding in your family. Talk about that a little bit. Well, some of my colleagues uh, think that that's one of my ways that I'm uh, preserving my role in medicine is by supporting some of these high-risk sports. <laughs> um, I, I grew up uh, having the opportunity to, to ride horses. My husband grew up with horses. He actually grew up in the country. Um, and so it's something that we wanted to be able to do with our kids. Uh, we live in the city. We enjoy living in the city. We live in Dundas. So we weren't going to... Uh, have them ourselves on a property but I knew it was going to be a, a great way for kids to have um, a way of learning things that that we care about I wanted them to learn discipline I wanted them to learn respect uh, respect for nature I wanted them to learn empathy and I think animals are a great way to do that um, 
having my daughters in riding has, has meant that uh, three days a week, we trudge out to the barn, we smell terrible. Uh, <laughs> but in those three hours that they're out there each time we go, there's no cell phones and there's no distraction. Uh, we go summer, fall, winter, they ride when it's minus 35 degrees out. Uh, so it's it's been a, a great hardening experience and then and a wonderful building experience. So I'm. it's been the way, just like other people would use hockey or a team sport or um or music it's been the the way that it is a high risk sport i recognize that there's been falls uh but at the same time it's, it's been a great experience for us to be in nature for us to be together um and i, I don't i don't regret the the years at all of of being cold and peeling the gloves off and uh, and all the laundry my husband had to do if your two daughters were to consider a career in medicine would you encourage them? I encourage them to do anything they want, want to do. Both of them have come with me uh, in the program where you uh, go with parent to school. Uh, and I was so happy to bring them to my workplace. It was probably one of my proudest moments to, to bring each of my daughters to work with me and have them meet my team. Uh, and I, I loved that moment when they got to see what I really do rather than just hear the stories. I think this is where they realized it wasn't Grey's Anatomy. Mm -hmm. uh, the, old, the first one that came through said, I can't believe how much charting and writing you have to do. Your job is so boring. <laughs> so when it's on TV, you only see the excitement. That's right. uh, and then uh, probably about 50% of the time I'm writing down the excitement. <laughs> So a teenager didn't find that too exciting. Um, my other daughter loved coming because she loved the personal interaction that she got to see that the physicians and the nurses make with patients. And she loved that people just told their stories so freely and openly. And, and that was really my job was to listen to people's stories. And she found it fascinating. Dr. Andrea Unger, the Chief of Emergency Medicine for the Brantford General and the uh, Willett Hospital in Paris is our guest. In our remaining moments of Hospital Insider, the podcast, we've begun a tradition, even though this is only the second episode, of having a quick round of this and that. I get to ask some questions. You aren't aware of them. We'll open the envelope. The listeners hopefully will learn a little more about you. If you weren't an emergency physician, what would you be? Musician. Musician? Yeah. What, what, what instrument? Or a singer? Or what? Uh, I, I was planning on a music career uh, and until that became too hard so I actually chose music over medicine. Oh, I chose medicine over music. Do you binge watch television? If so, what programs would you be watching? The Crown. Why is that? I think I have a love of watching uh, British royalty. I think it's a complete escape from everything about my life here. Uh, so I, I, I find that to be totally enjoyable. And then to uh, follow the crown with the, the struggle of a, of a young queen who has uh, leadership and challenges. I just think there's so many overlaps of women in leadership position and the challenges that we all face. I think it's incredibly timely. And I, I really in, enjoy watching that. And I, I think that leadership for women is one of the most satisfying things that I'm seeing in our generation right now. So I think that, that watching a show like that just completely uh, 
satisfies me. Social media. Are you on Facebook, Twitter? Facebook, yes. At Twitter, I haven't figured it out well enough. <laughs> are you a shopper or a, sh or a saver? Saver. A saver. Do you enjoy shopping online? No. I think when I need to shop, I go grocery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do that irks your husband? Talk about medicine. <sighs> Last question, Andrea. Do you have a bucket list? What's on it? A bucket list? Uh... No, you know, I, I don't. I spend a lot of time living in the moment. I really enjoy being, being mindful. I use my outside time to appreciate the now. To, I know that having kids is transient. One is just off at university. I recognize that this time is, is so precious. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking about 10, 15 years from now or things I need to accomplish. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really in the moment. I have a wonderful hound dog and we go walking on the Bruce Trail and I'm, I'm thinking about the seasons. I'm thinking about the foliage. Uh, I mean, those are, those are the things that I'm, I'm enjoying. That's my downtime. Dr. Andrea Unger, the Chief of Emergency Medicine with the Brant Community Healthcare System. Thanks for coming on the podcast. You've been a, a great guest. But uh, I think the people that listen, those 58,000 patients to the ER, those almost 20,000 patients at the Willett Urgent Care, they thank you and are grateful for the efforts you put towards their care and their health. Thanks. Thank you so much, Gary. Thanks for listening to Hospital Insider, the podcast, a presentation of the Brandt Community Healthcare System. Hospital Insider, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting forum. Please press subscribe, and you will always be up to date with Hospital Insider, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please pass it along to your friends. Encourage them to subscribe as well. It's appreciated. In two weeks, we'll return with a new episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast with Gary Chalk. Thank you for listening. I'm Sandy Bishop.